0: If you have your Bibles, and um, I want you to just kind of have your Bibles, turn to Revelation uh, chapter 4, and I'm going to be just reading from a small section. But verse 11, I want you to just kind of highlight if you can or if you want to, uh, because we're just going to spend some time looking at this morning. But to get into it, I want to ask a question if I can. Who loves cooking? Put your hand up if you're cooking. Okay, fantastic. Who loves watching cooking programs on TV? Have you noticed that, uh, you know, all the great chefs, when they're off the way, doing their magic, you know, and they're creating that, they'll take their little finger, you know, and then they'll go, you know, they're trying to get their taste right, aren't they? You know, so what I've got for you this morning, because I, I, all I want to do is dip my finger into heaven to give you a little bit of taste, and that's all I can do. And you'll understand because when we get into this subject, you know, if you've ever gone swimming in the ocean and dive into that, you know, the ocean is a vast depth of thing. Heaven is so huge, so big, it is indescribable. And in half an hour, I want to be able to describe something about heaven. And that's why I can only give you a little bit of taste on your tongue. You want to discover more, you're going to have to go away from here and go, God, would you show me more of heaven? Would you study more of heaven in the Bible? Would you kind of start to Look for more of heaven and earth, and then you're going to start your journey of discovery. And I kind of commend you to do that. And we will start in the book of Revelation, which does talk, by the way, a lot about heaven. So chapter 4, it says this. As I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. Same voice that I'd heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly, I was in the Spirit. And I saw a throne in heaven. And someone sitting on the throne. And the one sitting and someone sitting on it. And the one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones. Like Jasper, Carnelian, the glow of an emerald circled the throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him. Twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white. They had gold crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in the front of the throne were seven torches and burning flames, and the sevenfold Spirit of God. In the front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. And in the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. And the first of each of these living beings was like a lion, the second an ox, the third a human face. The fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings covered over their eyes, inside and out, day and day. After day, night after night, they kept saying, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was, who is, and is still to come. And whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, they fell down, they worship the one sitting on the throne, and the one who lives forever and ever, and they lay their crowns before the throne, and they say this, You... Are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things and they existed because you created what you pleased. I kind of want to take that passage and I want to just start to open it up to give you a little bit of a fresh understanding of what it's all about. Revelation is a book, it's an apocalyptic book. And most people think apocalypse is about the telling of bad things happening. That's the wrong understanding of what apocalyptic means. Apocalyptic means hidden. It means uncovered. These are, these are things what must take place, you know, and, and what is happening, John has this vision over the whole book of Revelation, and it starts with a bit of an introduction, it goes into the Revelation chapter 3 of the seven churches, you know, and basically that's talking into the present, you know, of what the state of churches are, and we can understand that, and then, but the moment you get from chapter 4 to chapter 6, there's like a stage being built, and there's an image that, that allocated to our understanding of this amphitheater. Now, this is built in, like an amphitheater, you know, if you've ever been to Rome, and uh, we will get that experience hopefully in the next few days, but there's an amphitheater there, that there's a stage set and and the chairs where the people sit and they watch a performance, but in, in the times when this was written and the plays were being produced, there was something above the stage, And it was called a divine presence. It was called a divine voice that sat above the stage. And when a moment on the scene of that play started to get where you got to the limit of an actor's ability to convince you of the point, when there was a complex plot or a complex thought, then the attention would go to the voice above the stage that would bring understanding. That would bring an explanation just to, it's like the narrator that we have in plays like that. That's why we have a narrator, because it's too complex for everybody to catch up. We have a back voice in our movies we watch, which has got a slightly deep tone, isn't it? Which explains to the, to the watcher what is going on. Revelation is a book. You'll read about things happening, and then you'll get messengers all the way through the book of Revelation as they speak into, this is what is going on. And that's either an angel or the voice of God speaking, and you'll get in and out, you'll get an expression. And I don't know about you, but if God chose you to have a revelation of heaven, how on earth would you be able to describe it to me, what that was like? It was like thingy, majiggy, Bobby, What you know, that's star. Ah. And if you've ever had a revelation from God, you'll find the limitations of words on all that you position in there, going, I don't understand that, you know, and then Revelation goes from chapter 6 and you've got these kind of stages of judgment and seals and trumpets, you know, and and, and I'm not going to talk about that right now this morning just to overload you, but I want to kind of think it's because Revelation finishes this glorious picture of heaven that stretches the human imagination with its design, with its size, with its symbolic image, and it's got this vision that invites people to come and receive God's eternal promise. It's huge. It is massive. And that final prayer, come, Lord Jesus. In chapter four, it says, then I saw. Right? I, I just want you to understand this. We think on the linear, we think on the, the lateral of chronological, don't we? You know, what happens is this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and this happened. Let me tell you, that's not what John is saying. He's not going, then that's all. He's actually going, it's revelatory. It's it's a lifting up of his understanding. So when he says, then I saw, he said, here is my thinking. Suddenly, I am seeing something bigger. I'm seeing something wider. Right now, in this church, I want the Holy Spirit. You cannot discern the things of God without the Spirit of God. You know, The flesh does not understand the Spirit. The Spirit does not understand the flesh. And actually, we need to understand. But in then I saw, there was a moment in John when he was like... Ah, oh, I'm starting to understand. And, and these images start to, to flash in front of his eyes. And, and, and every image, it's not literal. It's not like you, you're kind of, you've got these four beasts in the eye, isn't it? You've got this lion and the, and the ox and the human face, you know, and the, and, and the eagle. And you're trying to imagine that in the literal, in the natural, thinking that's what happens in heaven. No, it's symbolic. Let me tell you, those four beings represent the created order. You know, the, 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 the wild animal, the domesticated animal, the human creation, the birds of the air. The fish don't get a mention, by the way, because they were believed to be evil. Just in the day, just to let you know that. But, but the whole thing, they're surrounded from, the whole of created order in those beasts is surrounding the throne of heaven. Worthy. There's a completion of our creation that will surround of which you are a part You have the face of the human face when every eye will see God. You see, John is into thrones. All right, thrones is mentioned 62 times in the New Testament of which John gets 47 of them. He's the throne man. He talks about this throne. And it's not a surprise because he has this vision of heaven. He's exiled on Patmos, by the way. He writes this in exile, which I wonder sometimes for God to get our attention. Have you noticed God exiles you? God sort of sidelines you, God puts you in a place because in your business, you know, in life, you, you're not in the presence of God, but sometimes God says, I, I need you over here because it's just me and you, and, and right me and you, John, you're going to get this revelation, and then I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, you know, I, I, I understand what God was saying, I, and we need to get into that place because if God is going to grow us as a church, he's not calling us to grow naturally, he wants us to get us in, in, in the Spirit, And if you have the spirit in you right now, I am talking to you right now, and it draws out of you. Yeah, yeah, I need to get in the spirit. You're looking at your flesh and thinking, this just kind of limits. But, but the spirit of God wants me to draw me into this place of understanding. Not then happened, but then happened. The spirit of God comes down this heavenly core. He sees God's power. He sees God's splendor. It's unequaled by like any earthly ruler. By any power, it's over the whole of the universe, it stretches the imagination, it builds on visions that we find in Isaiah chapter 6, in Ezekiel chapter 1, and in Daniel chapter 7. They're all prophets who've had similar visions, and if you read them all, they just overlap in this. There is this spiritual understanding that God gives to his prophets, to God, I just want you to understand what must be. To download the Spirit into us. We need the help of the Spirit to understand what God is saying. The unfolding drama of the book stretches our thoughts. You see, I I, I found in writing this, in thinking about this, I felt not in a sense personally adequate, but my ability to tell you what I, I was thinking, dreaming, totally inadequate. See, words are but a vague shadow of the volumes that we mean. Little audible links, they are chaining together great inaudible feelings and purposes. So words are inadequate, but it's all we've got to communicate what we're trying to say. There's a tension between language and meaningful communication, isn't it? Have you ever said the right thing and the wrong thing at the same time? You, you understand what that means, isn't it? What I hear is the right words, but what you're communicating is either in the wrong way or in the wrong heart, and, and, and it doesn't match up, and you, you get that in your spirit. It's not right. So here's an example. Fine. That word, what it's communicating and what it's presenting are two different things of meaning, you know. And the spirit, basically, is able to isolate. Divine spirit and and we know what the truth is, comes out of that. Aldous Huxley said this, in spite of language... In spite of intelligence and intuition and sympathy, one can never really communicate anything to anybody. See, in English, there are orphans and widows, but there's no words for parents who lose a child. Interesting, words have limits to our ability. That is why we need the Spirit. If you could say it in words, there would be no reason to paint Art has this ability for us to express. And John writes this text in Revelation 4 verse 11, which I want us to hold for the next six weeks and understand it. It's very short. You should be able to remember it over this period. But you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor. And power for you have created all things and for your pleasure they are and they were created. You are means you exist. You exist and, and if you're in this place coming in just searching for God, I want to declare that just over you that God exists. He has always existed before you ever came to being. He is bigger than you. He is greater than you. He is higher than high and clever than you. You know, we're just kind of this tiny dot in the, in, in the scope of God. God. And this morning is about you understanding that incredible God in your life. You are worthy. You deserve this. You know, so the heavens are high on the earth, you know, and things like that. God is comparative and superlative, by the way, which means comparative. If you said the heavens and God, God is bigger. That's comparative. Superlative means God is bigger than anything, everything, all things. He is bigger than, isn't it? You know, some of you, who likes Chelsea as a football team? You know, who likes Man City? Man City. You know, you know, the whole thing about football is all about who's better. You know, but God is better than Chelsea. Surely, <laughs> Liverpool fan. No, it's just, it's just it's this whole thing. God is bigger. He's higher. He is the ultimate God, the most God, the highest of the high. Oh, Lord, you are worthy. Oh, Lord. It means my master, my supreme authority to receive, Okay. This is the real thing because I I need you to get beyond your language. When we say that, we think, God, am I giving you glory? No, you're not. To receive, he is worthy to take it. All right? So when we're talking about the highest glory and honor in heaven, who can take it? Because if it was there and I said, come on, take it, you would look at it and go, I can't. I I am not worthy to take that. I, I am not considered, but Jesus is. Jesus is worthy to take it. You're not giving Jesus glory. You're not giving him honor. You know, the actual word is a reverse in our translation. It, it's, he is receiving it. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our honor. He is worthy of the whole power of this universe. And, and he's taken it under himself. That's how big God is. Are you already at the limit of your understanding? But, but that's okay, by the way, because you hit your rational mind. I'd hit that in the wig, but I need you to get into the spirit because your spirit is not. Because your spirit given by God gets this. It understands how big and it's going, yes, and your brain's going, but your spirit's going, yes, and amen. Glory. Well, I want to tell you what glory means. I want to really help you. I, I kind of love the construct of words. But let me tell you by the way, glory does get confusing, not in your intellect. But you're going to go, what you're about to say does not help me at all. Because glory is a word that we use to describe the indescribable. Rachel said, I can't do this, but I want to. If you've ever been in a black church, they love the word glory, don't they? They say, glory. It's a word that we use to summarize God. The glory of God of God. It talks about the abundance of God. It talks about the ultimate honor of God. It talks about the splendor and brightness and the majesty of God. It talks about the perfection of God, the moral attributes. And you take all of those and you put it into one word. And this is why we have such an insufficient word in the word glory, because all we can say is glory. It's not that you don't know what it means. It's just, it's a word that you've got to the edge of your understanding. It's got to the edge of your limit, like I'm standing on the edge here. It's a a, a glory, God. And John is in that moment of glory. Glory. Glory means the bliss of heaven. Can you imagine a place of pure happiness and joy? Pure happiness and joy. You say that word on your lips, you start to understand it on your spirit. I want to tell you what will happen, it will start to fill your world, it will start to fill your thinking. You understand what glory means and you say it more. Suddenly I've noticed as I've said it and started to pray, it kind of almost, I start to step into this bubble of glory. Start to step into the goodness of God, the majesty of God, the brilliance of God. It's the highest opinion of judgment ever it's the brightest splendor that you can ever see it's the most glorious condition and the exalted state that exists 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 for all God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes and amen through Christ and ascends to God for what? His glory, you know, we want the yes and amen, but it's connected to the glory. I don't know if you knew that when I studied this and it popped out. I'm like, we've been talking about yes and amen and God's promises, but they're, in, they're found in his glory. They're found in his presence. We're in this moment when glory fills the room. You don't know what it is. It doesn't get better than that. Have you ever been in a restaurant and you've tasted it? It's the best food ever. Until next time you go to another restaurant, it's the best one ever, isn't it? You know, in the presence of God, it is the best ever. There is no greater place when you're in the glory of God. It doesn't get better. And people look at you and go, oh, you are nuts. And you no, 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 you haven't tasted the glory. Oh, you need to taste some of this glory. See, worship. They get to, have you ever got to the point of worship when you just go, ah? Oh, like, everyone looks at you and you are weird, isn't it? It's going to be quiet in church, by the way, for the next one month because Rose is going on holiday. Have you noticed that? He knows the glory, though. Oh. You are the best. You are the wow of wows. You are the excellent of excellencies. You are the best of the best, the highest of the high, the greatest of the great. When you get that, I'll tell you what, there, there's, there, every song that we sing in worship is, is not good enough to describe how God is. You're always on the edge because like, when you worship according to the Spirit, there's something. You're bigger than that. why words you just can't get there. You need the spirit. Ooh, I was in the spirit on the Lord's Day. Numbers twenty verse six says Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of the meeting. The tabernacle in the Old Testament was where they met God, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to him. I, I love the Old Testament because there was a leadership structure by which they knew the glory of God. God had somehow limited his glory to be revealed in a tent. Anybody ever been camping? That's his glory right in the middle. You see, in the, the, the Old Testament, Hebrew language is used, but the word glory has got, just got, a, I think, a slightly better understanding of the word. you know. And all the wow and wow and the greatest of great, it means all of that. But let me tell you what the Hebrew talks about. It's about weight. The weight of God's glory. Not weight as in W-A-I-T, when you're going to come, God. The W-E-I-G-H-T. There is something that happens when God comes into the room, when wow is not just the amazing wow, but the wow is. I don't know if you've ever respected someone in your life, but you have a weight of respect for them. That weight attributes to lots of things. If they ring you and say, I'm just coming in, you go, I, I respect you, we, let's meet up, we must catch up. Because you respect them, there's a weight to it, it dictates your actions. When they speak into your life, if they ring or they're praying for you, you, know, you when they speak, there's a weight that you give their words above every other word in your life. Why? Because you've tested it probably you've trusted it, but there's something you got, I honor you in my life. You know when we talk about the glory and God's starting to speak in life, how much weight do you give God? How, how much weight do you give the moment? You know, because sometimes we give our glory to our Sunday lunch that's going to happen in about 45 minutes or, or whatever it is. You understand, because we're dreaming what's happened. What you're doing there is you're replacing the glory of God for something in your natural flesh, right? That's what you're yearning after, but, but there's something. When, when God starts talking like about the glory and you have a weight for God, you, you ain't bothered about when you eat. Man will, does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out, out of the mouth of God, there's something in your spirit that says, Actually, I forget lunch. I need God, and that's not because I'm going to preach for a long time, by the way. Just to let you know, your lunch is going to be fine. You can still worship while you eat your lunch. But superlative, by the way. God is better than a roast beef dinner or a nut roast if you're vegetarian. Or whatever it is. You know, God is huge and bigger than that. So wait. And they would bring the ark into the temple. And then they would gather around that ark, and they would position it, everything. And then they would consecrate the ark. And the musicians and the singers would come in and the people would praise God. And in that moment, the glory would fall. There's two cherubims on the top of the ark. And God would meet between the two cherubims. as a word that the Jewish people use called Shekinah glory. Not in the Bible, by the way. But they understand it as the presence of God, the glory of God. High priest could only go into that place once a year to atone for the sins with the blood. Other people, you know, they would put bells on the bottom of his robes. I am so glad that this system has changed because I would have to go in and be off of your sin. <laughs> right? And looking from where I'm standing, it don't look great. Mine don't look too good either, by the way, just in case you think thinking doing that. You understand, but as he's walking, you know, and the bells are ringing, they know he's alive. See, if it was me and I was in my humanity, I might stop just to, to scare my team to see if Aaron's died in the presence <laughs> of God. There's no thud. We're all right. You, you understand, the glory of God was there. It was protected. There was a big, thick curtain. Curtain thicker than the size of my fist. Quite incredible when Jesus comes, rips the curtain, by the way, because the glory is not confined to human tent. I wonder if we've lost the, the respect for the weight of God's glory. I, I think we've lost a bit of respect for silence, because sometimes silent, in the silence, God brings his glory. Woe is me, for I am undone. It doesn't mean his fly was low. It just means he was... <laughs> it's the weight. Glory the Lord, filled the temple. God's glory is the manifestation of his person, his power, His majesty. Sometimes we see it in a thunderstorm, you know, Job writes a thunderstorm. We get a, a little bit of that. Sometimes we see it in the plagues, that God in his judgment, you know, was revealing his glory, his manifestation. You know, he was, he was changing a political environment, a superpower. You ever understood that? We just read them as stories. He's actually shifting the nations, the most powerful superpower in the world. And God is going, whoa, well, no, 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 you do not oppress my people. You do not put your foot on the neck and break the neck. You don't know who you are taking on, Sonny Jim. And so he says, I I command the whole universe. And and, and if I say it's going to move against you, it will move against you. And this is the God we worship. I I think we've dragged God to our understanding, to our our mates, to where I'm going for. And God is bigger than that. He is a a superpower of superpowers. Mount Sinai calls Moses up to the top and reveals himself. God's glory in the Old Testament fills those structures. In the New Testament, you get the word for those structures, the tabernacle or the tent. It's saying your bodies are tabernacles or tents of the Holy Spirit. You know what? You are designed to hold the glory of God. Years is a burning right now. I feel it. What is that? It's flesh. But when you come into Christ, you become spiritually alive. God wants to pour in his glory and go, woo. Exodus chapter 40. As the cloud covered the tent in the meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses could not enter the tent. Because the cloud had set in it and the glory of the Lord filled. Read that through that passage where the people knew that was happening, and then they it says they stood, they rose, they gathered around this glory. I I want the glory of God to be in this place. I do. You know, I, I know the glory of God can be in my bedroom. I have a summer house, by the way. We call it the shed, but it's a bit more slubbery than a, a shed, so it's a summer house. It's got these little nice lights. It's a sensory area for Nathan. But when I stood, i will often go in there because it's just a little bit quieter. It's cold at this time of year, but we've got this little electric heater that just fills it quite quickly. And I just sit there. The glory can fill that space. But wherever you go, by the way, the glory can fill a train. Fill a bus, it can fill a car. Or your office. <laughs> There's moments you can be just working and just worshiping God and woo God. <laughs> you know it can happen. It's not worked up, it's not an emotion, but when you when you're in the Spirit, God reveals His glory. Jesus is the glory of God, by the way. John 1, verse 14 says, The word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we have beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten, the Father, full of grace and truth. I I think Jesus is the light of heaven. I think Jesus is the bliss of heaven. I think Jesus is the glory of God. I think we've downgraded Jesus a little bit too. When you look at Jesus, you're not just looking at a carpenter. You're looking at the Son of God, the Son of God's glory. a name above all names. Prince of Peace. The Morning Star. The Anointed One. The Messiah. There's a moment in the the, um, scriptures when Jesus takes Peter and John up to the Mount of Transfiguration as we now know. And and the glory comes down. I, I love this by the way. Because we've got the Old Testament where the glory of God is in the tabernacle. And then we have Jesus being appeared, you know. And you know when he was born and glory shone around? We love it. And we're going to sing these songs in a few months, aren't we? I want you to sing it differently. Over these lowly shepherds in a dark hillside, suddenly the, he- the heaven is open. It's all window in heaven open. And on that mountain, you know, you've got Peter and John and the two people that he's growing And they get that revelation of the glory of God. I I love Peter's response. Classic. Should we build a house? Should we build a summer house? No, Peter. Jesus goes, No. You are the carrier of God's glory. You know, you've got to move the glory from the top of the mountain to being among the people. You understand the journey into the spirit of his people the church isn't a building by the way the church isn't a wall the church is not a program it is a people you are the church you carry the glory of God when the world see your good deeds so that men may glorify their father in heaven how does the world see glory? how does the world see the wow of the wow the best of the best the highest of the high they look at you You know, the devil is telling you you're rubbish. He's telling you you're a failure. He's telling you of your shortcomings, you know, for we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He loves that scripture. But that is not the whole revelation of scripture because he was for your glory. He took us in a no place, in a nowhere. And he sent his son to die for our sin. That we might be carriers of this glory. Yeah, we're broken, I know. That. We're not perfect. I have inadequate words this morning. But I have something of the Spirit of God that wants to come in and reside in you. Acts 22, verse 11, Paul writes, And when I could not see for the glory of that light. You know the Damascus Road? We've put a new light in the kitchen downstairs. <laughs> New LED light. I call it the Damascus kitchen now. The walk in is just like that. But Paul had this revelation of God when God just shone him, blinded him with his light. God wants to do that this morning. More glory. When the glory fills your room, you know it doesn't get better. Right now, God is preparing you to receive his glory. When you realize that God is the best, God is the wow of the wow, God is the excellent of the excellency, the highest of the high, the greatest of the great, the bliss of heaven starts to come on this, on you. Romans chapter 9 verse 26, he has made you so that the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy. You were prepared In advance for his glory who believes the Word of God I'm declaring that over you you were made for God's glory the wildness to shine the light to come out of you to emanate out of you Moses had this great phrase and he said show me your glory God reveals himself they're chatting friend to friend you have these moments and this is what I want you to do in your life Moses And Moses says this, if you do not go with me, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not budging an inch. I want to know your presence. Show me your glory. I think in the church, we're good with the concept of presence. God, I'm aware that God is around. We're not so good with the weight of God's glory. We've got to move from presence to glory. Let me tell you because that, I can tell you that weight of God's glory shifts attitudes in the presence. If you're negative, if you're struggling with sin, you know the weight, it shifts that out because it says there's no place for sin in my glory. There's no place for tiredness or bitterness or angst, you know, and just leave yourself behind because I'm going to fill you right now. I want everybody to stand because I think there's a desire in this place for that glory to touch them. Just close your eyes and just before you and God, open your spirit to Him. Words are for me are coming to an end. I've only positioned you on a precipice. Do you want God's glory in your life? Do you want that revelation? Just close your eyes and say, oh God, I'm opening my spirit. Not your head, your spirit. If you're struggling to understand, say, God, I'm struggling to understand your glory. Unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You he may not be born again, in the spirit of truth. You may have that light of which I've taught. Here's a moment now. Just while we're just getting ready to receive the glory, this could be your start. You haven't had that spiritual transformation inside, and you know God is going, Let me in. I want to come in. Just say, God, come in right now. Come by your spirit. Forgive me of all my sins. I recognize Jesus is the glory of God. Just do that. Right now, you'll start to feel love. You'll start to feel a lightness. You'll start to, whoa, wow, whoa, that's nice. For those who've experienced God, you're just reminding the goodness of God. And just say these things, show me your glory. Man. Feel me right now. Some of us speak in tongues here, by the way. And I know it's just a, a very simple way of connecting with the Spirit of God. I just want you gently just to speak in tongues. Just to sing to the same key that the music is. There'll be a sound of heaven that's going to come into this place. Some of you might want to just lift your hands before God. God is found in the praises of his people. the praises of his people to lift his name out you've never heard speaking in tongues before all I can describe it is the heavenly language that allows you to connect with God that actually moves out your rational way of thinking and it's a spiritual language you've never experienced that you might want to just say Holy Spirit fill me just one of the expressions of how the Spirit of God flows through you. You can't understand God without that spiritual knowledge right now that he's bringing to you. The whole earth is filled with your glory, God. We stand in your glory. You know in this place, God is going to speak to you. Some of you are feeling tired. You're starting to feel a strength coming from God. We're not doing anything. We're not even praying for you. It's so you and God. Not appealing to your rational thought. It's just spirit. If you want more of God, just push out more of God.